I say on or about because I don't actually remember. I was so messed up at the time. I do know that since then, I have not found it necessary to take a drink one day at a time, and sometimes one breath at a time. What I'd like to do is just to let you know that when I drank, my life got worse. My first sponsor, Gil, who died with 30 years sober back in 94, said to me, Tim, there is nothing so bad in your life today that a drink can't make worse. And because you're a drunk, there is everything in your life today a drink ultimately will make worse. And I'm really glad that I have believed him one day at a time. Now, I drank my way through college. I wound up doing things that were not helpful. I got in a lot of trouble. And you know, I don't get in that kind of trouble today. For one thing, I don't often think about this, but you know, it's been a long time since I've had the bed spins. <laughs> I was not a fan of the bed spins. It's been a long time since I've had a hangover. I was not a fan of hangovers. And nowadays, if I barf, it's because I'm ill and not because I'm drunk. I really like that. I mean, I don't like barfing, but I really like not having to barf because I'm drunk. Gil used to say that if the drinking causes problems, the drinking is a problem. So if you're a newcomer, or maybe a not-so-newcomer, and when I said, if the drinking causes problems, the drinking is a problem, and your brain said, I wonder what he means by problems, please keep coming back. I've learned that asking, what do you mean by problems, after that statement is diagnostic for somebody who could benefit from being in meetings with us. What I really want to talk about today is how to stay sober, how to stay stopped. Before I got into the program, I stopped a lot, but I didn't stay stopped. And I have found that if I work the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, as found in the big book, and as heard at meetings by people who are winners, I get to stay stopped.
And you know, there's a lot going on that my broken brain would like to try to convince me a drink will help. This time it'll be different. Who would blame me? You know, the this time it'll be different? That's actually true. It'll be worse. But it doesn't tell me that. I was 33 and a half years sober during my third deployment overseas with the United States Army. Maybe I should back up and let you know how that wound up happening. Okay, so I get distracted by sparkly things. <laughs> and so I may never get back to that point, but oh well, you lose. <laughs> so let me back up. I got sober when I was 23 years old. I had joined a Roman Catholic religious order of men and my best friend in this religious order had been intervened upon and sent into treatment. Now there was no way Stanley could be an alcoholic because I drank more than he did. <laughs> so I was really annoyed about this and they sent him to this fabulous drunk tank for priests in Michigan located in a mansion built by the Scripps family, you know, the newspaper publishers. They had a golf course and servants. And he had a spiritual awakening. <laughs> now I ask you, who's not going to have a spiritual awakening with a golf course and servants in a mansion? Seriously. So they sent him off to this treatment, and this was 1979 when the Solidarity Trade Movement in Poland was a really big deal among some circles. Because here were these ordinary Joes and Janes who were standing up against the Soviet behemoth. You know, they were going to change things, and they wound up doing it. It took 10 years, but the Soviet Union fell. So I decided I was going to be in solidarity with Stan. And I white-knuckled not drinking. That was a horrible time in my life. <laughs> Several of my other addictions took off, not surprisingly. We'll talk about them on another occasion. But I managed to white-knuckle not drinking. Stan was in this treatment facility for 90 days. He had this spiritual awakening. He came back and he was on fire with being sober. And I felt less than. I felt ashamed. I felt not part of. I felt different from. I felt I didn't fit in. And I was pissed. It's amazing I didn't drink. 
So finally, after he had been back from that place, six months, I guess, he dragged my sorry ass to an Al-Anon meeting. <gasps> Al-Anon. <laughs> and I had a spiritual awakening at that meeting. <gasps> the problem with my goofy family is alcohol. And then the next day or two days later, I think it was two days later, he took me to a particularly Michigan institution, which was the combined AA Al-Anon meeting. And people often go, oh my God, that's against the traditions. <laughs> Deal with it. I had a spiritual awakening there, and I realized the problem with me, well, one of the problems with me, was alcohol that I was ingesting, or that I had been ingesting. And I have been clean and sober ever since. I started going to meetings and immediately got in trouble with the people running this formation program for my religious order. Um, I, in fact, my novice master one day sat me down and with great umbrage he said to me, I know some members of this order who are more, how did he put it, who are more committed to AA than they are to this religious order. And I wanted to say to him, duh, do the math. If I'm not committed to Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm not going to stay sober. And if I don't say stay sober, there's no way I can stay committed to being a member of this religious order. So I kept going to meetings and I got myself a sponsor. Turns out my first sponsor, Gil, was married to my first sponsor, Dorothy. Dorothy helped found Al-Anon in Detroit. Gil died sober in 94. Dorothy died in 2016 with over 60 years in Al-Anon. And he had his program, she had her program, they had their program. It worked really well for them. And I am a very grateful member of Al-Anon. My friend, Father Tom W. from the People's Republic of Berkeley, says that <laughs> Al-Anon is advanced recovery for an alcoholic. And that has been my experience. I know that it's my Al-Anon stuff that my broken brain tries to use to get me to drink again. So anyway, I've been doing this 12-step thing for the vast majority of my adult life. And I don't get in the same trouble I used to get into. So for that, I'm really grateful. But, you know, life happens. And for years, I heard 
coming to meetings that this was a program for living has anybody heard that this is a program for a living i had no idea what the hell that meant program for well until i had another one of my spiritual awakenings which was you know the twelfth step said says sought to practice these principles in all our affairs some of us aren't having affairs anymore so because of another twelfth step program so um, i usually talk about sought to practice these principles in all areas of my life and the spiritual awakening was the principles and the book says i think it's page 4243 um, we came to see that spiritual principles could solve all our problems anyway the principles that i believe are being talked about there are the steps and if i try to work steps in all areas of my life i'm better able to do life so for example um there are some guys here arun and chuck and a few others who've been on retreat with me uh over at the jesuit spirituality center in milford um and so they've heard me talk about the powerlessness du jour see if i can name the powerlessness of right now i've already started working steps because that's the first part of the first step if i can name the powerlessness of this moment i get to work steps and that's really important for me because you know the next part of the first step says that our lives have become unmanageable there is an inverse relationship in my life between accepting powerlessness and the amount of unmanageability because i'm addicted to inviting unmanageability into situations that already have way too much so there i was at the airport last night expecting to take off at 5 minutes after midnight and delta changed their schedule <laughs> so we're going to take off at 12:56 a.m. okay it's a little disappointing but all right instead of getting in earlier i'm going to get into cincinnati later and i start to drive here so i said well i'm powerless over delta i think delta means doesn't ever leave the airport but <laughs> some people were a little annoyed about that and then at so we're supposed to start boarding at quarter after midnight at 45 minutes after midnight the voice comes on and says well we don't have a uh we're missing one of the pilots 
So we're not going to take off now until 2 a.m. And people were getting kind of upset about that. And I just said to myself, self, powerlessness du jour. You know, I could get really worked up. I could get really angry. I could make even more of a complete ass of myself than is my default setting. If I don't name the powerlessness of right now. And so, in fact, the people who were next to me looked at me and they said, you're not upset about this? I said, well, I figure this pilot that they're missing is shit-faced right now. <laughs> and so we're going to be safer if we have a sober pilot behind the wheel. So I'm down with that. So if I can name the powerlessness of right now, I'm already working steps because the book says there is one who has all power. Tim is not it. <laughs> you know, when you laugh at me, it hurts my feelings. <laughs> so if I can name the powerlessness of right now, I, I've already started working steps. Yesterday, I found out that one of the soldiers in the California Guard the command for one of the soldiers in the Guard was really concerned about him and they were trying to find a chaplain because He held his 19-year-old girlfriend as she died in that shooting in Thousand Oaks. That's a lot of powerlessness. It was a lot of powerlessness for me as a chaplain because I couldn't get there. In part, because by then, Thousand Oaks had been under mandatory evacuation orders because not only had they suffered this massacre the night before, the town is burning up. That's a lot of powerlessness. And I need to be reminded there is one who has all power and I'm not it. I have the gift of forgetting. It makes me a really good confessor because you tell me something and it's gone immediately. But I also forget the good stuff, which is I get to have a higher power who's really, really, really big. And when it comes to higher power, size matters. <laughs> and I can forget that I have this really humongous higher power if I'm not identifying the powerlessness of right now. You know, the second step says, 
came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And I go nuts if I don't identify the powerlessness of the present moment. For 27 years, idiots like you in rooms like this told me to pray only for the knowledge of God's will and the power to carry it out. So I did that. And then at 27 years sober, almost 51 years of age, I joined the freaking military <laughs> with no prior service in a time of war, and I wound up in a war zone without a weapon. Now, are we or are we not restored to sanity? What's up with that? So I have this teeny-weeny resentment against you idiots. Chaplain basic training at age 51 sucked. And I learned about powerlessnesses I didn't even know were possible. But then, when I wound up in Iraq without a weapon in August, wearing 50 pounds of body armor, and in the shade outside, the thermometer's reading 134 degrees Fahrenheit, I said, sanity, I wonder what that's like. <laughs> but you know, we get to have a higher power big enough to handle whatever mess we have made. Indeed, whatever mess we have become. And I really love the fact that Alcoholics Anonymous says, get your own higher power. I have a higher power of my non-understanding, which is pretty amazing because I've been accused of having more academic degrees than a rectal thermometer. <laughs> And quite a number of them are in philosophy and theology. And I don't understand my higher power. Nor do I want to. What I need to know about my higher power these days is, there is one who has all power, I'm not it. If I name the powerlessness of right now, so, for example, on the 11th of May, 2009, I was on Camp Liberty in Iraq without a weapon. And I was in talking to my boss, the first female division chaplain deployed to a war zone in the history of the Army. Awesome. Oh, my goodness. She's just awesome. Anyway, 
We're talking, knock on the door, somebody from the Joint Operations Center, the jock, comes in and says, excuse me, ma'am, we've just got this report from the combat stress clinic that there have been shots fired and casualties. But first reports are always wrong, so we're not sure what's going on. We wanted you to know. So she and I finished our talk. She got her chaplain assistant. I got my chaplain assistant. And we raced over there. It was just, I don't know, 300 meters away, something like that. Not far. And so I get there and roll down the window. And my chaplain assistant, who's driving the vehicle, says, uh, my chaplain and I are here. And the guard says, well, nobody can come on. And then my chaplain assistant says, my chaplain is a Catholic priest. And <laughs> so the guard said, oh, go right ahead. <laughs> so we got to the building and the guard there says, Chaplain, you can go in, but no one else can. So my chaplain assistant wasn't able to go in. Most people here in the States don't know that there was a mass murder in Iraq on the 11th of May, 2009. A soldier from a U.S. unit in Germany who was in Iraq for his fourth combat tour. This is 2009. He's already in his fourth combat tour. Uh overpowered the soldier who had been assigned as his handler um, because he was deemed to be a risk. And so his rifle was taken from him. And everybody in Iraq has to be under arms, with the exception of chaplains, but we always have our chaplain assistant with us. Uh, so this guy overpowered his handler, took that guy's rifle, and shot up the combat stress clinic. Five people died. A couple were wounded. He survived. I went in there. I was the first chaplain into the building. He had already surrendered, so I was under no threat at all, other than just being in Iraq. And it really messed me up. I had thought that going to Iraq with 28 years sober and turning 29 years sober while I was there would insulate me against a traumatic stress injury. Boy, was I wrong. You know what recovery insulates us against? The first drink. That's it. If we work the program, we can stay sober. It doesn't mean that bad shit isn't going to happen to us. And it really messed me up to be in there and see pieces, parts of skulls on the floor. Two of the kids who were there were under a desk and they had been executed and they didn't die right away. 
And this really messed me up because I had gone there assuming I could trust the people who were wearing the same uniform I was wearing. And it was somebody who was wearing the same uniform I was wearing who did this to others who were wearing uniforms of the United States military. I thought I was prepared to see dead comrades, but never in the context of somebody on my team doing it. It really messed me up. I was so aware of powerlessness and unmanageability in that situation. I kept saying the serenity prayer over and over and over and over again. And I still wound up with traumatic stress injuries. But I didn't drink. And that's why I go to meetings. So I don't drink. I go to Al-Anon meetings so I don't pick up loaded automatic weapons. <laughs> that would be a really big Al-Anon slip for me. <laughs> the world is a much safer place if I'm working steps, let me tell you. So, you know, the third step says, made a decision to turn will and life over to the care of God as we understood God. And if I have a really humongous higher power, really, really, really big, it's going to be a lot easier for me to make that decision and act on it than if I'm dealing with the lower powers that I grew up with, the lower powers that I'm addicted to. There are a lot of lower powers, by the way. Alcohol is a lower power. Other mood-altering chemicals, gossip, work, sex. My friend Tom says that the internet is Valium with a mouse. <laughs> Lots of lower powers. If I make the decision to turn will and life over to the non-care of lower powers, I'm always going to wind up feeling worse than before I turned to the lower powers. At an Al-Anon meeting 30-some years ago, not long after I started into, the, into recovery, I heard a double winner, somebody both in AA and Al-Anon, saying that the way she works the third step is... She says the serenity prayer, and then AA's third step prayer, and then AA's seventh step prayer for herself. <clears throat> then she goes back and she says the serenity prayer and the third step prayer and the seventh step prayer, inserting the name of the person who's living rent-free in her brain. And then she goes back one more time and says the serenity prayer and the third step prayer and the seventh step prayer in the first person plural. Because this is a we program. And do you realize that the serenity prayer 
can be found in the big book ever since the second edition. And when it's given in the big book, it's actually in the first person plural. Grant us serenity to accept the things we cannot change, courage to change the things we can, and wisdom to know the difference. It was really tough for me to learn to say the prayer that way. But I realized I may not be much, but I am all I ever think about. So it's a really good program. Uh, It's really good that the program is a we program, and I need to remind myself of that again and again and again. And you know, if I make the decision to turn will and life over to the care of a really humongous higher power, then I get empowered to put on God's glasses so that I can come to see myself the way the higher power has always seen me, so that I can come to love and accept myself the way my higher power has always loved and accepted me, which is unconditionally. Another one of my really important spiritual awakenings occurred when I was maybe two and a half years sober. I was in graduate school and I realized that my higher power can't love me more than I'm loved right now which is beyond my ability to imagine. And my higher power can't love me less than I'm loved right now, which is more than I have the power to imagine. That means that I get to have this God who loves and accepts me in the midst of the mess and who doesn't just put up with me in spite of it. When I was a kid, I remember hearing from adults, well, I love you in spite of, and then fill in the blank. And you know what? If I'm being loved in spite of, that ain't love. It's tolerance, maybe. It's being put up with. But it's not love. And in the program, I have found a higher power who loves me in the midst of the mess I have made. And even more so, in the midst of the mess I have become. And the way I got that was by taking Bill Wilson at his word. You know, when we get to the italic sentence that says, this was step four, The very next sentence is, a business which takes no regular inventory usually goes broke. A commercial inventory is a fact-finding and a fact-facing proposition. So Bill, when approaching step four, has business inventory as his context. Unfortunately, what he describes is not a business inventory. I mean, I am not a business person. But it seems to me 
only looking at what's broken and unsaleable does not give me the exact nature of what's going on. And if I do a real business inventory, here's a newsflash, Al-Anon gets this right. Their blueprint for progress, horrible. Awful. Really ego deflating at depth because it demands we understand the exact nature of our wrongs by understanding the context in which these wrongs have been committed. That is to say, do this thought experiment. I have been accused of being an asshole. In fact, I've had some people say to me, you know, Tim, we can rejoice because God created you to be an asshole and you are living up to that. So now, if that is in fact true, is being an asshole a character defect? If my higher power has said, Tim, you're going to be an asshole, is that a character defect if I'm an asshole? No! You know, the truth is, though, once I did a real business inventory, thanks to that stupid blueprint for progress, I realized that God created me to be generous and kind and loving and helpful and compassionate and thoughtful. And so if I'm an asshole and all of that is the context, that's a big character defect. So if I put on God's glasses and ask to see myself the way my higher power has always seen me, with all this potential and how I have squandered it, and come to see that my higher power has loved me beyond imagining in the midst of all of that and didn't just put up with me in spite of it. I become really ready to have God remove defects of character because they've gotten in the way of all this really good stuff flourishing. And fortunately, I have had sponsors over my time in recovery who have helped me to see that more and more clearly. My sponsor, Elaine, I've known for 25 years. For the last 13 years, she's been my sponsor. Some people have told me, oh my God, you have a female sponsor. We don't do that in Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, she just died a week ago, two weeks ago tomorrow. She was 94. So we weren't going to do it.
and she had 53 years sober. So she had what I wanted. 53 years sober. She had been through the ringer and she really helped me work steps in the midst of whatever was going on and helped me to see that if I ask the higher power to get rid of these character defects, all this other stuff will grow and flourish. And you know, the bigger... She really encouraged me to let... to uh, let my higher power get bigger and bigger. That program I had started a number of years before she became my sponsor, in 1990, I drove with my friend Tom W., from the People's Republic of Berkeley, uh, up to the AA 55th birthday party in Seattle. And on the way, we were listening to some bloviator on the radio, and I was getting really upset, and Tom looked over to me and he said, Oh, Tim. He does that a lot. And uh, I said, What? He said, Your higher power is way too small. And I can't believe that you don't see that. So I was beginning to get a little annoyed. He said, yeah, your higher power hates all the same people you do. That's diagnostic for a lower power. And so ever since then, I had put my higher power on a workout program that included steroids. Because the bigger I demand my higher power gets, the more fearlessly I get to live my life. When I was a kid, I was scared of everything and everyone. And I used to drink to try to avoid feeling, well, anything, but certainly feeling the fear and the shame that came with it, and the isolation, and the anger, and the self-loathing. The bigger I let my higher power get, the bigger I demand my higher power get, the more fearlessly I get to approach life. And the proof of that, for me, was that at almost 29 years sober, I went to Iraq without a weapon. And there were people over there who were not happy that chaplains were over there. And they would target individuals wearing a cross on the uniform, or the Buddhist wheel, or the uh, tablets, and even the crescent, because they knew that the terror value of taking out a chaplain of whatever faith was great. So there I was in Iraq without a weapon. Only possible because my higher power had gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And 
the bigger my higher power is, the easier it is to make the decision and act on it to turn will and life over to the care of that higher power because the bigger my higher power is, the less there's the chance that my higher power is lacking some essential skill sets necessary to deal with me. I never before understood the sixth step. We're entirely ready to have God remove these defects of character. I believed that I was just a seething mass of character defects. So if I were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character, there'd be a vacuum. And nature abhors a vacuum. I'd much rather have God remove the defective characters from my life, but that's just a sign that I need to do more work. And you know, when we humbly ask God to remove these shortcomings, what happens for me is remembering that shortcomings, at least in my experience, are not obliterated. They're not completely erased. They don't just poof, they're gone. What happens for me is these defects of character are obstacles in my way that make the going even more tough than it already is. So my higher power comes and moves them out of the way. Unfortunately for me, I'm addicted to moving them back. So I have to ask God to remove these defects of character. So God comes and moves them out of the way, and then I move them back. And so again, I have to have God remove these defects of character. Fortunately, I'm getting tired, I think, of moving them back. So it's not quite as often, for some of them at least, that I have to ask God to remove them. But it's still an ongoing work in progress. And with the eighth step, ooh, I'm really powerless over my mouth. How, when am I supposed to wrap this up? Mark, somebody? Whatever you'd like. Oh, well, <laughs> that is a dangerous thing to say to me. I just told you I'm powerless over my mouth. So, okay, well, I'll see if I can speed this along a little bit. So, when I become ready to have um, God remove these defects of character and then humbly ask God to move them out of the way, I become spiritually fit enough to make the list of people that I've harmed and to become willing to set things right, to make amends to them all. I would much rather have them make amends to me. <laughs> but that's not what the book is talking about. And so if I have done a business inventory fourth step and seen the exact nature of my wrongs, how what I have done has caused damage in the lives of other people, I become very willing to have 
God's help in setting things right with those folks. When I was brand new in the program, I attempted to make a ninth step amends without even having done the first step. There's not enough time to go into it now, but boy was it a disaster. The only thing good about it was I didn't drink. There was a lot that I did when I was new in the program that was pretty much a disaster. So I've learned that anything worth doing in the program is worth doing badly. <laughs> because as long as I don't drink, I get to do it again. And if I dedicate myself to setting things right, that means I can make amends even if the person whose life I harmed is no longer around. Because I believe that karma is something. And I have done an awful lot of damage, so I need to put healing and life and service and love out there to begin to try to repair the damage that I've done. The Al-Anon 12 and 12 is really clear that the only healthy way to do the 8th and ninth steps is in concert with a sponsor. AA says that too, but Alana has a really lovely way of doing that. And I didn't get it until, um, until I was doing the steps in Al-Anon with a sponsor. You know, the first time I did a fourth step in AA, my first fourth step was searchless and fearing. <laughs> and it was... Uh, it was pretty much a disaster, but I didn't drink. And because I wound up getting a really a much bigger higher power and came to understand what the care of the higher power was, I was able to put on God's glasses and do a really thorough moral inventory of other people. I mean, of myself. <laughs> I'm very good at doing moral inventories on others. In fact, uh, after that first one, the searchless and fearing moral inventory of myself, my sponsor suggested that I take the inventory of somebody else who was, whom I found particularly annoying. So I said, ooh, I can do that. And so I was very excited about that, and then I brought it to him, and I read it to him, and he said, okay, now sign your name at the bottom, because everything you just told me about that guy, that's you. <sighs> Sponsors, you know, they can be really difficult. <laughs> but anyway, if I set things right, then the promises become true in our life, right? That's where the promises are found. We're talking about the ninth step. We're, uh, we'll be amazed before we're halfway through. What I like about the promises is that two paragraphs before the promises is the line, 
The spiritual life is not a theory. We have to live it. And for me, living the spiritual life means engaging steps in whatever I'm doing. So, I was in Iraq, it was the day after Thanksgiving 2008, and the big news was that the tiny defect that we had for Camp Liberty had doubled in size because that day they opened an extension onto it that doubled the floor space. So, woo, you know, whatever it takes. And so we're in there having dinner, and then all of a sudden there's this big boom. And there were explosions going on a lot, usually preceded by the big voice from the sky saying, EOD, the Explosive Ordnance Disposal, people are going to have a controlled uh, detonation in 10 minutes and then in 5 minutes and then now. And we didn't hear that. So we're eating and... Um, Maybe 40 seconds later, there's a much bigger boom, and the building is shaking. And that's when we realize, we realize, oh, we're being rocketed. And so, I intuitively knew how to handle a situation I had never been in before. So I hit the ground, and then I realized, oh, wait a minute. There are all these other people heading for the other side of the building because that part of the building has a Kevlar cover over the roof, meaning that shrapnel is going to have a harder time coming, raining down from above than where we are. So I'm intuitively knowing, oh, I better get over there. So there's this mad dash. I'll never forget there was a guy who was a general, uh, Brigadier General, and he was really tall. So he kind of, you could see him, and he was just elbowing his way into the other part of the So I get to the other part of the thing, and I dive under one of the dining tables there, and I realize that I'm halfway through saying the serenity prayer, and I didn't remember consciously starting to say the serenity prayer. So I got so excited about intuitively knowing how to handle this situation that I forgot we were being bombed. <laughs> and I was just filled with wonder and awe and gratitude at the program. It was during my third overseas deployment that I realized that for me, G-O-D, you know, some people say the gift of desperation or the group of drunks or the great outdoors. For me, G-O-D had to be gratitude or death. Because I was in a situation that should have been a really easy deployment and it turned out being a nightmare from the pits of hell. And we didn't have meetings and I was... At that point, I was 55, 56 years old, and um, mentally, I was back to being a bullied eight-year-old, and I really, really, really wanted a drink at 33 and a half years sober. And I knew 
that i had to access gratitude in the midst of that or i was going to die gratitude or death mark talked about gratitude in the thanksgiving thing here i'm down with that if i can access gratitude in the midst of adversity if i can access gratitude in the midst of loss <coughs> i've been really really sad that elaine died almost 2 weeks ago and i've been filled with gratitude that our paths crossed in the first place because how easy it would have been for us never to have encountered each other if i can access gratitude in the midst of whatever's going on i'm in a good spiritual place and that means because the book says we're given a spiritual uh, a daily reprieve contingent upon the maintenance of our spiritual condition and the best way i can maintain my spiritual condition is through gratitude which is why when i do the 10th step continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong promptly admitted it i always start off with gratitude and i end my 10th step with gratitude because for me it's gratitude or death i really believe i don't have another recovery in me the received wisdom is that those of us who stop drinking and stay stopped for a long period of time were we to start drinking again our bodies would react as if we had never stopped so i like to say that my disease is in there and it's not only pumping iron it's taking steroids so i don't believe i have another recovery in me so i need when i'm doing the 10th step to begin it and end it at the very least with gratitude and you know what if i'm doing that then i'm already doing the 11th step because that's prayer and meditation gratitude is about prayer and meditation praying only for knowledge of god's will and the power to carry it out i've already covered that i have a little resentment about that and you know sought to practice these principles in all areas of our life for me is about working steps so if you're new please keep coming back if this program can work for me it'll definitely work for you if you're new get a sponsor whom you trust you don't have to like your sponsor get a sponsor you trust and then listen to what your sponsor says and do it chris oh, did i say that out loud oops i'm powerless over my mouth if you're new if you keep coming back and you don't drink in between meetings you'll stay sober i've been to meetings on Uh, in Asia and in Europe and in uh Canada and the US and Costa Rica and Peru and you know I bet there's somebody out there who has 
this story that yeah i was in my room they broke in and they forced alcohol down my throat i bet there's somebody who has that story but i have never heard anyone and i've never met anyone who's heard that story so you know what if i don't drink in between meetings and i go to a lot of meetings i'm not going to get drunk and that's pretty much a miracle beyond imagining because what the program gives us is the opportunity to stop and stay stopped i'm very grateful to have been here i apologize if i've gone on too long i'm really grateful to my uh, brother and sister uh, military veterans here ura to the marines happy birthday um i had a wonderful deployment my fourth overseas deployment had about 800 marines on post <laughs> that was quite an experience um i'm expecting that i'll see some of them here not too long uh, <laughs> i was amazed at the trouble young marines can get into oh my goodness um But anyway, thank you for your military service. Um I never imagined I'd run around looking like GI Joe, but I get to have a higher power who has a really bizarre sense of humor. If your higher power isn't up to the challenge of you, please feel free to borrow mine. My first sponsor Gil told me that, and I didn't know what the hell he was talking about until my life got so unmanageable not drinking that i decided that i would do what he said and lo and behold it worked so i'm going to say to you if your higher power is lacking certain essential skill sets necessary to deal with you please borrow mine because mine is not lacking any of those essential skill sets at all Hooray for the higher power. Thank you for being here. Thank you for putting up with me. God bless you.